Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Catalyst Conversation. We are here with Stephen Shire. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing really well, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. So Stephen, give us a little bit of your background and, and tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Well, I work in cannabis. I've worked in cannabis since 2018. Um, I fell into it quite accidentally. I had a phone call from a good friend of mine whose son had been in the unregulated and regulated market for many years. And she said to me, Steve, my son is in a partnership with two other people. They're not getting along. They're not able to make this work. Can you please step in? She said, you're a great HR person. I had hired her actually in, I think, 1999 to work as a CFO of a large internet company. And I've been friends with her ever since. She said, can you step in and help my son? and his partners try to figure out what they're doing. So I did, and I, I realized that these are three people who didn't have a shared vision about what they were trying to accomplish, didn't have a shared perspective of what they needed to do tactically, and on some days didn't even really like each other very much. And over the course of the following year, I uh, we kind of fell into and uh, semi-arranged a semi-amicable divorce. Um, because these are three folks who really should not have been in business together. But the good thing about it is I realized that I really like being in the cannabis space. It's a very creative, thoughtful space filled with people who are really committed to the plant and really committed to advancing their businesses. And even though it did end up in an amicable or semi-amicable divorce, the, all of the people that on the team um, thought that the work was worthwhile, and they recommended me to other people, and that's how I got started in the business. My background, and Mike, thank you for asking, has really been, um, you know, as a, as a young person growing up, I was always interested in power. I was interested in politics. Um, I started out my career in the political world. <clears throat> Pardon me, I was the chief of staff to the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, in the California State Assembly. I then went to work at Apple, where I was there from 82 to 91. I was a product introduction manager for the original Macintosh. My last job at Apple was the director of K-12 marketing. And then after that, <clears throat> I went into, pardon me, I went into human resources um, because when it dawned on me, I was a much less interested in technology than I am in people and power and process and how to make people, most importantly, better leaders. So um, I spent a long time working on that. Um, as, as I said, I got into cannabis in 2018, and one of the things I saw was that um, a lot of people got into this business to defy the man, and then they woke up one morning, they realized they were the man or they were the woman, and they had to make their company work, and they didn't know how. And so from 2018, to uh, 2021, I worked in this field. I had clients and still do. And I started coalescing my thinking around power. And I wrote in uh, 2021 with my co-author, Michael Ashley, this book, which is called Power Up, Essential Tools for Cannabis Leaders. And it's all about how people can harness their power to be better leaders to get more out of their businesses uh, and to create a better environment and a very competitive field for their employees. So that's what I'm doing. Um, my work has morphed into, um, and then I'll be quiet and you can ask me another question and thank you for your patience. 
Um, I do three things. Uh, number one, I do uh, individual leadership coaching for cannabis CEOs. Number two, I do um, I create advisory boards for uh, cannabis CEOs. So I'm just finishing up starting a uh, an advisory board in Eastern Washington, where I bring in because if I network in my contacts, five or six experts that uh, this cannabis operator would like to engage with. And um, these people get paid a, um, a meeting fee and they get paid uh, with uh, stock of the company. And so that's the second thing I do. And the third thing I do, which I'm just getting uh, started, is a cannabis CEO council where I'm convening groups of 12 cannabis CEOs to talk about their issues, their challenges, their passions, how they can help each other, bring in guest speakers, um, it's sort of like a vistage play for exclusively cannabis CEOs. So those are the things I do. I'm going to be writing another couple of books um, in the next few years. And um, yeah, thank you for listening to that long, long, long explanation. And so, you know, what are the unique challenges to the cannabis space? Um, well, I think that there are numerous, uh, there are numerous strategic, as you all know, there are numerous strategic challenges um, in the cannabis space, everything from uh, confusing uh, and uh, contradictory government regulation, um, a lack of federal acceptance, a lack of banking, um, capital is hard to raise, there are many competitors, there is a very screwed up distribution network. There's, uh, yeah, there's a many, many, many organic issues that are confronting uh, the industry. Um, from my, what I tend to do is to concentrate on the people side of that equation, which is how can I, as a leader, better and more effectively use my voice to mobilize the people on my team uh, so I can create a better company. Um, many people are, it's hard to find somebody who's either, um, well, let's put it this way. I think there are many people, that, we have many examples, and thank you, I was sort of stumbling there uh, in my mind about how the phrase is, but there are many people we can see who are sometimes uh, drunk with power, who are uh, sometimes using their power in not ways that are really helpful. I'm not worried about those people. Um, there are uh, plenty of uh, uh, people out there like that, but in truth, I think it's a small minority. What I more worry about is the people who are underpowered, who don't know how to use their power to advance their company, who don't know how to give voice to what they're trying to achieve, don't know how to articulate a vision, um, and don't know how to mobilize their teams. That's the, the people I'm most concerned about, and I see plenty of those people in the cannabis space. What's interesting is the biggest uh, complaint that we hear is sort of this bro culture mentality, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, either you're in, you're with part of the in crowd or you're not. Um, so how do you address that? Well, I, I think there is a very uh, definitive uh, bro culture in the space. Uh, I don't know that it is um, that, well, I don't know that it's that deep that it can't be overcome. I think that there are lots of people, lots of people in the unregulated, unregulated market were men who were willing to take risks, right? In the regulated market, 
Um, you're seeing many women who are coming into the space uh, who have ideas, interesting, thoughtful, and creative ideas about how to advance products in space. And that's really what the future is. So what I've done um, uh, is in particular to look for female CEOs that I can help and support. Um, if you look at my webcast, which is Firestars with Steve Shire, that's Firestarters with Steve Shire. Um, I slurred it a little bit the first time, so I said it the second time. Um, uh, half of the people I've had on the show are women. I think it's really important to give women voice um, and to encourage women to um, be successful in the space. And there are a lot of really good female CEOs out there, people like Lisa Hurwitz, at, who was the uh, person at Happy, or um, another person I found on the show, Autumn Sheldon, who's the CFO and a co-founder of Autumn Brands, or um, uh, who else have I had? Uh, Lisa McClung, who is a investor in Chicago, or um, uh, I'm blanking on someone that I really don't want to blank on, um, uh, a woman who runs um, Pink Haze in Michigan, whose name I'm unfortunately blanking on. So there are a lot of great uh, people out there who are women who are doing that. But you asked a very specific question. How do you overcome that? I think you do it in a couple of ways. One is to encourage women who have a different point of view about how to subvert that bro culture. But the other thing is to speak to those who um, participate in that culture and ask them whether that's really working for them. Um, the people who I first were uh, was working with in cannabis, they were pretty bro-like, right? But they weren't very successful, right? And fundamentally, if you're burning through all your cash and all your friends and family's cash, eventually you're going to have to face the reality that you may have to change your orientation. So and, I think it's by encouraging women and by engaging with the other folks. And, and where do you think we are as far as an industry maturity? Are we at like the 1.0 version or how far along do you think we are um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think we're at the one, not to be a contrarian or a, uh, uh, not to be cute, I think we're at the 1.5 version. I think okay. we're, we haven't quite seen the 2.0 version yet. Um, there's still a lot of struggling. There's still a lot of people who are out there trying new things that isn't a mature industry. Um, it's a very busy industry. It's uh, an industry full of people with really interesting ideas. But I don't think we've gotten to that next Personally, what do I know? But I don't think we've gotten to that next level where we can say we're at cannabis 2.0 yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting is when we, we look at it, because, you know, we're starting to see brands emerge, but they're not established. Um, right. You know, when somebody goes into the dispensary, typically they don't ask for a brand, they ask for an experience. I, you know, I, I want to be relaxed, I want to sleep, I want, you know, this or that. So they're still asking for an experience um versus a specific brand um so the the brands you know is something that we possibly will see emerge um in addition what we're you know it's natural like you said there's many many players um and the na nature of these types of um green rushes and stuff like that is there's going to be consolidation right there people will fall out um and then there's always sort of this looming concern over about big business, right? Does tobacco want this space? Does farmer want this space? And, you know, once it's federally legalized, you know, what does that mean for the big players? Will they just come in and, and just take over or what will happen? 
I think there will always be room for um, uh, players who are smart and who have a, uh, a, uh, a brand. But you're right, there aren't dominant brands that are out there, um, not brands that um, and also, as you all know, there are many, many parts of the country that do not support, do not uh, endorse or support cannabis. And so, yes, it's le as you well know, it's legal in California, but how many counties make it very difficult for people to secure cannabis? A lot. I think there are 58 counties in California. I don't think more than 18 of them um, have dispensaries. But I mean, but those counties typically regret that decision, right? Because the, you know, there's definitely an economic development impact um, when we see, you know, cannabis activity move into an area. We, you know, it's job creation, yeah. where it's the tax base, those types of things. So, you know, while they may, for whatever reason, morally decide not to um, allow it, you know, they're missing an economic opportunity. That's inevitable, I think. For sure, absolutely. But it, people sometimes take a long time to change their perspective. The thing that will move the needle, as we all know, is federal legalization. Um, and I don't see that happening really for another four or five years either. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tend to agree. I, I mean, I think if anything, we'll see some move on the Banking Act. Um, right. And then, you know, one of the amazing things, and we saw this in Germany as well, is sort of this you know, industry misconception that when the legislation finally gets passed, that tomorrow everything is going to be ready to go. Right. Uh, you know, in Germany, it passed in 2017 to be enacted in 2018, and they're still figuring it out, right, four years later. Right. And, that, and I think that's one of the other things that people have underestimated is that even when it finally does pass, it'll take several years to iron out the details before people can do that. For sure. And we're For seeing sure. that in New York, right? Where, you know, it's been, you know, figuring out the licensing, figuring out how to roll it out. You know, it's taking forever. It does take And I know from my own experience in the legislature that you can pass a bill, but there's always trailer legislation because it, you know, it's sort of like the old axiom, no plan ever survives contact with the enemy and no major piece of legislation ever goes out the door perfect. And so there's always trailer legislation. You know, the other thing that has to happen is that that states, you know, see it as a big money-making opportunity, but the regulations and the taxation that they are um, foisting on people makes it very difficult for yeah, people I mean, to be successful. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that, you know, there in the last six months, there's been a, an outcry in California that, you know, between the luxury tax and, you know, sin tax and all types of other taxes, you know, that we're putting 30, 40% on top of the product and that can't compete with the legacy market, which doesn't have any taxes. Right. right. So, you know, the desire to eliminate the legacy market and make this a legitimate business, make this a taxable business, you know, is counterintuitive to the amount of taxes that they're trying to leverage on top of all of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. You know, and so what I am doing in my space is creating um, opportunities for cannabis people, cannabis leaders to gain more support, uh, to gain more uh, insight into their business um, and to uh, build their network. That's really what I'm about. So the Cannabis CEO Council, which will start, I hope, in uh, May or June 
Um, the advisory boards that I'm putting together are all opportunities to connect people in the space. People are actively trying to build businesses in the space with uh, advisors that can help them. Um, yeah. And our, our belief is that for the folks that are in the space now that have the staying power, meaning capital, um, right. to ride this out for three or four years, they'll be very well positioned on the other side of this. Um, right. But they're going to need capital to make it to that to the other side. Right. Exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, if you can self-fund, it's great. If you can if you can turn a profit, it's great. But there's a lot of risk in cultivation, um, and there's uh, a lot of risk in establishing a brand. I mean, so many people are trying to establish their brands now that who knows what's going to, you know, who knows what's going to really work. And, and what do you see and, and are you working with any sort of these um, alternative products that have sort of managed to, you know, find loopholes? I'm talking like the Delta 8s and the Kratoms and stuff like that. Um, are you doing anything in that space or do you avoid that space? What's your response to that? Um, I have not um, had the opportunity to work in that space, really. I mean, my focus is really... How could I make cannabis CEOs more effective at doing their jobs? Yeah. Um, and so I sort of go to where I'm, uh, where those opportunities take me. I'm not targeting a particular segment of the cannabis space, in particular. And, and are most of the companies you're working with uh, consumer-based companies. They, yeah, they're um, there. I have one uh, cultivator. I have another um, vaping uh, company. I've got, but I also have other companies that are in, for example, technology side of cannabis. Um, so a company ecosystem that's, players as well. Right, exactly, exactly. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, what these people all have in common is they're trying to be successful in a space that is um, very daunting right now. And I'm trying to be the person that they can lean on um, to grow their company. And, and, you know, do you bring experience? Do you bring stability? What is it that attracts them to, to you? Um, I think more than anything, it's my ability to create uh, focus for them uh, or to work with them to create focus uh, because there's a lot of uh, chasing of bright, shiny objects in the space. Um, and uh, that's just not something that will really um, cause them to be successful. So... Yeah, what people are interested in uh, with the advisory boards is they are just nose to the grindstone. They're trying to make their company successful. They haven't met people um, uh, in this advisory board I've got that's uh, just about ready to start. There are three other CEOs that are going to be on this advisory board. And that's the kind of experience that my client wants to have. Um, in the Cannabis CEO Council that I'm starting, it's all these cannabis CEOs that are, again, nose to the grindstone, trying to make it work, and they're not reaching out there. They're not connecting with other CEOs. And, and are they doing that because they view them as competition? Or are they doing it because they're just, you know, not looking outward? What, what is They're just not looking about? outward. They're so focused on their uh, making their business successful. In fact, my job is to make sure that there are no... It's a little bit easier because of the bifurcated nature of cannabis in the in the country. I mean, you could have cultivators from different states on. It doesn't matter, right? Um, um, 
you know, but my job is to make sure there aren't competitors in the room, but there are people with shared experiences. Yeah, friendly competitors, right? Right, friendly competitors, or just people who can riff off each other and can also support each other. And what has been the biggest challenge for you in, in trying to build this? Um, the biggest challenge has been getting my uh, my name and uh, brand out there um, so that people know who I am. And um, we have largely accomplished that through uh, an outward outbound uh, LinkedIn program um, and uh, through these uh, webcast videos that I've been doing. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to, I got my first uh, paid speaking gig um, I'm going to be speaking at uh, the uh, graduation. Um, I'm really excited about this. The graduation ceremonies at the Cleveland School of Cannabis. Oh, cool. So I'm going to be their graduation speaker in um, in June. And it's just, you know, I haven't been in What's the What's your topic? Do you know? Um, well, it's going to be about, uh, uh, I'm still working on it for sure, but yeah. it's going to be on power and leadership and um, that there is joy involved. One of the things that I think is unfortunate is that people think leadership is a drag. And I really don't think it is. I think it can be very joyful. It, it could be a very, leadership is about showing the way. It is about having a vision and compelling or encouraging people to come along with you for that ride. I mean, I learned a lot about that with all my interactions with Steve Jobs when I was at Apple. Um, you know, I had uh, a good relationship with Steve. I, I was always a jobs loyalist. Um, he could be a pain sometimes for sure. Um, but you always knew with Steve that he was trying to do something great. And that's my goal for the people I work with. I want them to be able to articulate something great that they're trying to accomplish. And I'm also, um, one of the uh, important chapters of my book, it's like the second chapter of my book is a chapter called uh, No, They're Not Your Friends. People often get confused about the people they're hiring and what role they play in their life. And people need to understand, cannabis CEOs need to understand that their job is to create an environment that works. It's not to secure the friendship of the people that work for them. And, and how is um, coming from an HR background added to that perspective? Well, uh, I think it's a combination of my HR background and my political background. It's, um, I came at my HR background through a political lens. Um, I understood from the very beginning that message is really important. You have to be able to articulate a vision that people can buy into. And certainly working with Steve Jobs uh, for three years as I did, or observing him for three years as I did, um, um, up close and personal, um, I saw the importance of having a vision and being able to speak to that vision. Lots of times people don't feel it's important to speak to the vision. Oh, they see what I'm doing. You know, they see what I'm uh, doing, that, that's enough. It's not enough. You have to be able to convince people that your path is the right one and they would be wise to come along with you. And does, does the cannabis industry suffer from the great resignation or are people still excited about joining this industry? Everyone, you know, it's very interesting. I, I, in preparation for this um, uh, commencement address I'm giving, uh, I am um, I interviewed uh, so far three students from the school. Everyone is super excited about being in the industry. 
They really are. There's so much passion and that passion is fueled by, in many cases, the individual stories they have about how cannabis has helped the lives of people they know and love. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, that's what sort of, you know, to go back, way back to what we were talking about earlier, um, that's, uh, in my experience, been the primary difference between um, male entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs. The, the female entrepreneurs seem to come to this with a care perspective, right? This is yeah. a, um, you know, a natural product that has many benefits that are, you know, while they may not be evidence-based medicine yet, Right, we're working on that, but you know, we know that there's a lot of benefits from it. That the plant yeah. holds these benefits, will unleash more of these benefits, um, and then we need to obviously go down the path and make sure that we have the evidence and clinical trials to support that. But the women seem to approach this from a care perspective, like this is an opportunity. absolutely. And I think that, but you know, interestingly, I really have not met very many people, though I know they're out there, that are in it solely for the money. I really have not. The person I was really proud that yeah, the person, I know some folks in California who are in it for the money. I'm sorry, what? So I know some folks in California who are clearly. Oh, I do too. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not saying no, but a lot of people are interested in it for what uh, it will do for their communities, and they have a passion for it. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be um, doing a podcast show on or a webcast show on is the pluses and minuses of social equity programs. Um, I've got several people of color who I'm uh, recruiting to be on the show, because I think we still haven't gotten this right uh, either. Um, and so I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Getting back to your point, the person who wrote the forward to my book is a woman named Tracy Ryan. Tracy um, is also has been interested in the um, uh, cannabis as medicine uh, part of the business for many years. Her daughter was born with a um, with cancer. Um, and um, Tracy founded a nonprofit called Canna Kids and is on um, the leadership team of a company in Los Angeles called Encore Biotherapeutics. And they are using cannabis to, in conjunction with traditional therapies, um, for better results. So, yes, I think that uh, it's a really wonderful space for people who are want to make money and also people who are trying to advance uh, the plant. Steve, I'm aware that you have a hard stop. So um, if folks want to learn more about what you're doing and um, follow you, where can they find you? Um, well, very, very kind of you, Mike, and thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I They could uh, find me at steve at steveshire.com. Um, my email is steve at steveshire.com, um, and it's spelled S-C-H-E-I-E-R. They can also look at my book on Amazon, Power Up. Um, and they could also look at my webcast series, which is called Fire Starters. With yeah, Steve and we'll mention those links in, below so that folks can. Wonderful. That would be great. Um, yeah, I, in, in closing, and thank you very much, Mike, for having me on the show. Sure. Um, you know, I uh, really applaud the work that you're doing, and thank you very much for doing it. Is that I. Products are important. Products are crucial. But what also is important and what I am working on is trying to create better leaders in cannabis and more supportive structures for these leaders to operate in. And so um, I hope I'm going to be able to accomplish that. Uh, and I thank you very much for having me on the show.
Steve, we have no doubt about it. We, uh, we look very much, sorry, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the near future and um, we will definitely stay in touch. Thanks, Steve. Okay, thank you, Mike.